Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Visible Man podcast. I'm Jack Rollins, the producer of the show. Today's episode comes from a live talk founder Jeff Hoffman had with Aaron Thurston from the Heal Collaborative, which as a part of the University of Rochester Medical Center, provides support for everyone who experiences violence and trauma, including men and members of the LGBTQIA community. Now, there were some technical issues with the audio, but we believe that the information contained in this episode is important enough to share it even in its imperfect state. The content of this episode has to do with abuse and domestic violence. Because of that, it may be triggering to some individuals, and we also advise that you keep it away from younger ears. We will get to Jeff in just a second, but first, a word from our sponsors. So what does the HEAL Collaborative do? So the HEAL Collaborative is a program at Strong Memorial Hospital where we have a variety of different services. It's a part of behavioral health program at Strong Memorial, but the focus is on folks that have experienced violence or trauma related to interpersonal or domestic violence relationships. And so we specialize in in working with folks who have either a history of domestic violence or are currently in a situation with domestic violence. We offer a variety of services, uh, social work services, um, and that's primarily what I do. I assess folks coming into the program to find out kind of what's going on with them, what their needs are, how we can best help them. I do some safety planning for people if they're looking to leave abusive situations or they're just trying to navigate things, trying to figure out if they're going to leave, if they're going to stay, basically how to keep folks safe. I provide um, some psychoeducational information to people on relationships and uh, family dynamics and dealing with uh, neighbors or, you know, people that you're close with or in relationships with parent-child relationships. I also do some light care management type stuff. So if folks have housing issues or they're needing connection to resources and things like that, um, I'll work with folks on that. Um, And we get referrals from primary care docs. We get referrals from the behavioral health crisis line, the intake line. Um, We get referrals from off the street. My friend was in the HEAL program and I'm interested. We also have um, a Willow advocate that works for us. I don't know if folks are know about the Willow Domestic Violence Shelter. It used to be Alternatives for Battered Women. Um, We have a a young woman that works with us um, who gets people connected with emergency housing. She helps with orders of protection. We can do that right on site. We can do remote orders of protection, which is really cool. People don't have to go down to the courts. If you have court appearances and you're needing some support, we can go and advocate and be there with you to support And then another critical piece of our program is the uh, trauma therapy that we provide folks. So we have two mental health therapists that provide not just trauma-informed care. That's kind of a a term that a lot of people throw around in behavioral health and in just in general. Um, So we're not just trauma-informed, but this is actual trauma treatment. Mm -hmm. So it's brief, short-term therapy, six to 12 months 
where you're really delving into the trauma that you've experienced um, as it relates to relationships and what that looks like and how that impacts your life. And um, so the therapists really delve into that, peel back the layers and, and sort through how those times of, of trauma and violence have impacted you and your relationships and how it's, you know, those things are kind of intertwined. So um, it's really great. We have two therapists that do that. So it's very specialized mental health therapy. It's not just your everyday kind of coping skills, depression, anxiety, you know, I need meds, that kind of thing. It's, it's very, very specialized. You have to be ready to do the work. It's very intensive. It's very powerful work. It's very hard work but totally, totally worth it in the long run. The more mm-hmm. you put into it, the more you get out. So we have a lot of services that we offer at Heal and it's all kind of in one place, which is, which is nice. Um, and you get to pick and choose which parts of those services you want to be a part of. So you can come in and just get the social work services, or you could come in and get the mental health services and sort of just tap into the social work services when you need it. So that's kind of nice too. get to mm-hmm. kind of pick and choose. That's so that's a lot of stuff. Um, it's a lot of I want to say trauma informed care, but a lot of a lot of the guys in the server has have experienced things that when listening, that they might not even know what trauma is. But I guess before we get into that, I'm, I'm, what got you into this? Like, why why are you excited about that? I know this is a passion of yours. Uh, I can see your face kind of light up. But like, <laughs> it is, yeah. it is. So I've been in social work for about twenty years. I'm twenty one years old. So you know, since I was Just, like, wow, congratulations! Yeah, since I was like a year old. Um, okay. <laughs> So I've been in social work for for about 20 years um, and I've worked in a lot of different environments. I've worked in hospital settings. I've worked in residential placements with kids. I've worked with um, in perinatal mental health with pregnant and parenting women. Um, I've worked in outpatient mental health clinics with men and women and um, relationships and healthy and unhealthy relationships were very much a theme that sort of was underlying with folks and their mental health struggles, um, anxiety, depression. A lot of times when you would really sort of ask the hard questions at the heart of that was relationship. And so that's kind of what drove me to join the, the heal clinic and, um, you know, work on folks who work with folks who have dealt with relationships that haven't always been wonderful and, um, you know, sort of examining uh, what that looks like for folks. And um, one of the, you know, one of the common misconceptions about HEAL is that, you know, we only work with married couples where it's a man physically abusing a female and, you know, we just want to get in there and get the female to leave the male. And, um, and that's, that's not it at all. We see every gender, every race, every creed, every sexual orientation, we abusive relationships affect people of all all sexual orientations, all gender identities, all expressions. And we see all of those folks. So we have folks that come in, you know, they're um, an adult child and they're living at home with an abusive parent. You know, they're still, they're taking care of a, a parent that's abusive or they're abusive towards their parent. Or, you know, we see gay couples where, you know, there are two males and one is 
abusive towards the other. And so I think, like I said, a common misconception is that it's just male, female, it's just physical Mm -hmm. um, and abuse and trauma comes in lots of different forms. And I think that's one of the things that I'm hoping to really help people understand tonight. I think there are so many people that they come into the clinic and they say, you know, I didn't come in here because he's not beating me or she's not hitting me or, you know, they're not leaving bruises. And so there are other people that are being hurt so much worse than I am. And, and I hear them say that and it just breaks my heart because there are so many ways for people to be torn down and to be uh, treated poorly. And it's not just being physically violated. There are many, many ways, physical ways of being violated Um, emotional ways of being violated, sexual ways of being violated, financial ways of being violated, things we just don't even think of. Mm. And those can, those can come in healthy ways and those can come in unhealthy ways. And so we talk about healthy ways. Wait, so, well, there's no, there's no health. There's, I mean, there's healthy ways to be physical, but not be physical towards another person, not physically harm another person, but there, there are healthy ways to be physical and to like exercise and things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what, is, what are some of the ways, like um, other ways that you could express abuse, the way that you put it? You said people are surprised to hear them many different ways. Right. I'm so so what, are, what are some of the ways that people might So physical know? is pretty obvious, right? So hitting, kicking, punching, slapping, throwing things, destroying property. We don't necessarily think of that as physical abuse, but somebody's throwing something at you. Physical abuse can also be if someone's isolating you from others, um, abandoning you, like leaving you, you know, taking you somewhere and leaving you somewhere and not you not having any way to get back home or, you know, driving you in a car somewhere and leaving you. I know it sounds crazy, but people do that stuff. Restricting access to medications. People do that to people. Preventing you from sleeping. (laughs) I know it sounds right. So you don't even, it sounds so crazy. Intimidating you by threatening your pet, your family pet, driving unsafely. I mean, these are things we don't, we don't think of. So, uh, you know, these things can, can add up. And then the emotional abuse, which is an attempt to use highly charged emotions to control the actions of others. So that's things like, you know, uh, belittling and verbally abusing and calling you names in front of friends and family, being possessive, acting jealous, controlling how you spend your time or your money, um, verbally threatening you, making false allegations against you, um, snooping through your phone or your emails. Um, That's all, that's emotional abuse. That's not respecting someone that's trying to find ways to control them, Um, hiding your keys or your phone, you know, that's, that's more a physical, but um, you know, so things that just we don't even think of that are really subtle but are ways to control you or isolate you from, from others and, and be able to kind of impact your, your thinking and your, the way you feel about yourself and manipulate really. Mm. Um, And then there's, you know, there's sexual abuse as well. And that's forcing someone to do something sexually that they're not comfortable with. So, so many different ways that Mm. people hurt other people. So how do you, how do you know, I mean, like people go through cycles in their relationship and there's, mm-hmm. there's a spectrum of like, uh, you know, like severity, I guess you want to call it. But, you know, at what point do you go, Wait, I, this doesn't feel right. This maybe this is abusive. How, like, how do you how do you find that point? Yeah, it, that's a really good question. Um, you know, there are a lot of ways that you can. Um, I think one of the best ways is 
we are the experts on ourselves, right? So if something is feeling off or not right to you, trust that, you know, so if something, if something makes you feel lousy about yourself or something makes you feel um, like less than or um, upset, then that's something you need to examine and look at. Mm. Um, Talking to people, that's really important. Talking to people that you trust and just saying, Hey, you know, this happened the other day, or, you know, I noticed this, or is that normal? Or does that, does that seem weird to you? Or, um, Mm. and it's, that's really hard to reach out to others and talk about because there's a lot of shame and a lot of um, guilt and a lot of, like you said, just not knowing, like, am I being paranoid? What's going on here? But that's kind of why it's, it's a good thing to run it by somebody else and say, you know, is it normal for my, my girlfriend to just expect me to hand my phone over so she can, you know, look through it and, um, you know, say, why are you texting this person? Or, you know, why are you talking to this person? Or, um, so that's a good way to kind of keep things in check. Mm. Yeah, it's, it is, it's difficult. It's difficult to know, you know, when the line has been crossed from just normal relationship issues and, 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 um, you know, difficulties to this is abusive. When I was married to my first husband, he was very financially abusive and kept tabs on all of our money. All of the money would go into an account that had his name on it. And then we would pay all of the bills out of that. And then I would have to ask him for permission for money, for things like, um, gifts for, my children's friends' birthdays, or even gifts for my own kids, or I would, I had to get out my own, I had to take out my own credit cards because I I was allowed $20 a week allowance for gas and coffee and lunches and things like that. And that was a form of abuse. And I didn't know that until well down the line. Um, Mm -hmm. I just thought, okay, he's better with money than I, you know, he always told me you're not as good with money. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to kind of take charge of this. And I thought, great. I don't have anything to do Mm -hmm. with that. But then, then you start to realize like, I shouldn't, I work, I contribute to the (laughs) income of this family. Mm -hmm. I shouldn't have to ask for permission to, you know, to spend money on my children or so it's, it's, it's tough. It's tough to figure it out. But sometimes you just know, sometimes uh, Mm. just red flags, you got to look for red flags, like mm, uh, Mm, the gut feeling, the gut feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what about you mentioned at the beginning, how how people are surprised about (laughs) the every sexual orientation, gender, you know, um, what can you say about men specifically in the discussion of abuse? Yeah. So one in 10 men experience sexual violence, physical violence, or stalking by an intimate partner during their lifetime. One in 10 men. Okay. Which I thought was, wow. I mean, that's, that's huge. I had chills. On average, 20 people per minute are physically abused by an intimate partner in the U S during one year. That's more than 10 million women and men. Right. So those are, that's some tough, that's some tough stuff. And then men have the additional barriers of, so there's a lack of resources out there for men because as as a society, we recognize domestic violence towards women and there are a lot of resources out there, but not a lot of it is geared towards men. So society as a whole 
has this really antiquated way of looking at domestic violence and what that means. And it's like I said in the beginning, man, woman, they're married. The man's, you know, the big, strong man is beating this weak woman. And, you know, we're going to jump in and save her and help her. And and society is still very stuck in that. Um, mm-hmm. And so that makes it hard. Um, and so it also, you know, contributes to men not wanting to come forward because they figure, well, nobody's going to believe me that mm-hmm. this is happening to me. So that's part of it. Men, men don't believe they can be victims either. You know, I'm supposed to be this, you know, big, strong person. And, you know, it's because that's what they're told they're supposed right. to be like. That's, and so yeah. there's a lot of, of shame and guilt that comes with that. And then also the, the society's focus on physical violence. So, you know, we talk a lot about physical violence, but when there is that emotional stuff there or the, you know, the verbal abuse or the emotional abuse, which is still very much abuse, men aren't talking about that because you don't, you just don't hear about that as being abusive. So embarrassment, fear of ridicule, just a social stigma, worried that they're going to be perceived as less of a man or, you know, that their masculinity is going to be denigrated by saying, you know, I'm being hurt or abused by my partner. It's just, it's a hard thing for women too, but I think it's especially hard for men because people expect men to be strong and, you know, push through and, and do what you got to do. And, you know, that's not fair in a lot of ways. Anybody that needs help should be able to ask for it and, and have it be there and available for them. And so that's, that was another reason why I wanted to be here tonight is to let men, and I know men and women are able to join this, this uh, server now, but to let men know that there are, there is help out there for them and not to be ashamed and afraid to reach out for that help, because that's the only way the abuse is going to stop is by acknowledging it and addressing it and working towards, towards healing from it. I appreciate you pointing that out because you know, one of the disadvantages of the pandemic is that uh, we don't get to see each other in person, but with this, the visible man server, it's all online. And so there's a degree of anonymity to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, a number of people have come forward and I think that kind of removes the barrier of, you know, knowing, <laughs> you know, there's, there's some safety in that. Sure. Of course. So I'm imagining you see that I mean, what's it like when a guy comes in to when you interact with a guy about this situation, a man about an abusive situation, how is that? Is it, does it look the same as, is it surprisingly similar or are there differences when a man comes in? It it is surprisingly similar. Um, I I treat it mostly the same way. Um, You know, I, I try to listen. I try to do a lot of listening um, and I try to do a lot of, of reassuring that uh, they are not the only ones, you know, um, validating their, their feelings and just saying, you know, this is a real, this is a real thing. I give them a ton of credit for coming in and, and talking with us and, you know, saying that I understand what a really huge step this is for you. And that, and that's the same way for anybody that comes in taking that initial step to get some help is so difficult. And uh, yeah, I don't, I, it's hard to say it's um, really because every individual is so different. And so it, the experience is so different for everyone. So I'm speaking in a lot of broad terms here tonight, but that's, that's one of the things I love most about our clinic and about the work that I do is that it's very individualized and, 
you know, we're not, we're not on this mission to get everybody to leave their abusive partners. And, and that's not it at all. We really work to meet people where they're at. Um, and if you read, uh, read up on um, domestic violence and um, abusive relationships, you'll see that people, they'll leave and they'll come back and they'll leave and they'll come back multiple times before they're actually really ready to leave, or maybe they will never leave at all. And so we, I have to have it in my mind that I need to meet the person where they're at. And if they're not ready to leave, I could in my heart and in everything in me could say, oh my God, that person needs to get out of that relationship. That is so sick, so unhealthy, and so damaging to that person. But if they're not in that space, that's not where we're going to go. We're going to go where that person needs to go. Um, And so, you know, people are at all different phases of, of where they're at when they come in. So some people like have one foot out the door already. And some people are like, Hey, I just kind of want to run this by you and see what you think. Like I'm that friend that they're going to and saying, is this abusive? Is this, Mm -hmm. you know? And so we just have a discussion. We just have a dialogue about what's going on and how does this feel for you? And, you know, what kinds of relationships have been modeled for you in the past? And, you know, how is this impacting the other relationships in your life? You know, have you lost all your friends because you're in this relationship with someone and, you know, what does that tell you? Um, Mm. So I don't know if that answered the question, but it's, it does. It's, I guess, you know, I don't, one of the reasons I'm so happy to have you here is because you have the experience of seeing what it's like when somebody comes in to talk about these things. And so I think there's probably a lot of, I guess what you're getting is kind of my preconceived notions that there is a major difference and maybe there's not, you know? Um, so yeah, it does answer the question. What now, what about the pandemic? I mean, like the <laughs> last year has sucked. First of all, let's yeah. just put that out yeah. there. I mean, it really has. Had, I, I'm imagining like a powder keg, if that's the right term of just oh my like, gosh. just anybody who's in a situation, you could go to work to get away from that situation or school or whatever, but yep. now they're stuck at home. exactly exactly and you know and that's um this year has been absolutely insane when it comes to and the statistics are not out yet but let me tell you my phone has been ringing off the hook Mm -hmm. the referrals have been just coming in non-stop because just like you said there is no getting out of the house there was no um, going to the grocery store and and taking a breather or and people were on top of each other. And if, you know, some people get along because they're able to to get out of the house and, you know, they're working at different places during the day and they come together at night and their their time together is limited. But when you are right there 24 seven with someone, you see everything, the good, the bad, the ugly, you know, whatever. And it it has been a shit show. <laughs> it really <laughs> yeah. has. Um, you know, it's just, it's terrible. Um, and it's also, it's been terrible, but it's also been good in some ways because it has offered people time to slow down and really reflect on their lives and what's going on for them and what they want and what their hopes and dreams are. And this is not what I wanted for myself. This is not what I wanted my relationship to look like. This is not, you know, um, and then having the time to actually do something about it. I think, people taking care of themselves, I think is a luxury for some people. And Mm. so because we didn't have a lot else going on, people were able to take that time to take care of themselves. So they're like, now is the time I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go get well. I'm going to go get this trauma therapy. I'm going to work through my crap 
And um, so, so there was that too, because people had that downtime and that quiet time to really think through, um, mm-hmm. you know, what it is they deserve out of mm-hmm. a relationship and out of, out of life. So, but yeah. Whew. Yeah, I can, I can believe it. So I could talk to you for a long time about this, but we have a bunch of questions. Awesome. Um, Good. Hit me. You, yeah. Okay. So. Um, Unintended. Yeah. I was. <laughs> yeah. I'll, uh, <laughs> I won't jump on that at all. So we'll, let's, uh, let's have some questions here. So um, how long does it normally take before you're able to move on <laughs> from an abusive relationship and not take it out on a future relationship and it varies person to person, but on average? It does. And, you know, honestly, the longer you're in an abusive situation, the longer it's going to take to get over it and get healthy. Because during that time you're in that relationship, you're forming these thought patterns and you're forming these opinions about yourself and these behaviors. And, um, you know, um, you're accepting that person's explanation of what your reality is. And so the longer you're exposed to that, the harder it's going to be to, to get over that. Um, so uh, it does, it varies from person to person. The type of support system that you have is really critical. If you've got a really strong support system, um, that's really helpful in getting, getting through and getting over abusive relationships and moving towards healthier, um, healthier relationships. Um, you know, having really frank and powerful discussions with, you know, all the people in your life, not just someone that you're maybe considering getting into a relationship with, but, but all the people recognizing, you know, what are, what are things that set me off? And the, in the big word that everybody uses is trigger, but that's, that's really what it is, is it, you know, what triggers you, what, what reminds you of that abusive relationship and, and what you've been through and how do you respond to that? And how can a person that loves you, you know, whether it's a friend or a, a partner or whatever, how can they prepare themselves for that and how to respond to you in that context? And so having, you know, having a discussion and being open and willing to, to talk about what that was like for you and, and what you wish for, for yourself in, the, in future connections and future relationships is going to be really important in, in the healing process. Okay. That you mentioned future connections. Um, the person also asks as a follow on what, what are some steps to take to heal from that type of relationship so that you don't make somebody else pay for what your ex did to you? Yeah. Um, so, you know, it sounds really dumb and really obvious, but acknowledging, acknowledging the abuse, acknowledging that that's what it was. Um, and, and, you know, thinking about and accepting it as part of your past, but not as part of your identity um, is going to be really important. So this is something that happened to me. This is not who I am. Um, acknowledging that, recognizing that it's, it can be very difficult to do, but it's the first step to healing from those experiences and trying not to be ashamed or repress it, not healthy, not good. Um, so acknowledging that working on changing negative thought patterns that have been, you know, that you've spent time creating, that's really hard too. Um, you know, some of that, that, you know, all men are like this, or, you know, if I had been a better boyfriend or girlfriend, they would never have left me. Or if I had been, you know, blaming yourself and doing some of that. So those negative thought patterns that 
you know, have continued to be the narrative in your head, you have to work on, on changing that narrative. That's really, really hard um, mm. because you, you build up these ways of coping and dealing with that. And that's what you get used to. And so it takes time. And even you can, you know, be in a healthy relationship where you're getting what you need and you're still going to respond in some of those old ways, because that was what you were used to. And that was the, that was the pattern that became comfortable for you. And so it's hard not to bring that stuff into another relationship, but how your partner responds to that, if your partner responds to that in a loving, responsive way, that's when you can start to, you'll start to make some changes with that. Um, taking care of yourself, you know, that, again, that sounds really cliche and, and, and stupid, but, you know, figuring out what your dreams are, what your, what your needs are, what's important to you, um, your, your belief system, you know, your emotional, physical, spiritual needs, figuring out what those are and making those things a priority for you. That's going to be really important in healing from an abusive relationship getting yourself moving and physical exercise and just taking care of yourself in general, sleeping, trying to get some sleep. And because the, the, the worse you feel physically, the worse you feel mentally and emotionally. And so getting that, getting yourself, you know, just doing some of that kind of stuff for yourself, the exercise and the, you know, the, um, the endorphins and things that come from that, that helps. It sounds, sounds silly, but it's really true. And then, setting boundaries is going to be really important. Um, and that's, that's a, a word that people use a lot in therapy too. And so boundaries, meaning know what you're comfortable with and not comfortable with and being, being able to let someone know what those, what those parameters are and feeling comfortable with that and saying, you know, um, I was with somebody that used to want to check my phone all the time and I'm not comfortable with that. Are you, are you going to be okay with that? Cause that's something that I'm, you know, um, and that's, that's really simple. That's, that's a, but you know, emotionally, emotional boundaries are going to be important as well. Like, you know, I'm really uncomfortable when, you know, I'm knowing that you don't do well with someone yelling at you like that someone raising their voice. So it doesn't even have to be yelling. But if I know that someone raising their voice is going to set me into a tailspin, I'm going to say, you know, could, could we talk about this without you raising your voice? Because when you raise your voice, it upsets me and I start to spiral and I start to think about my old relationship and things. So just being willing to be open and honest, and and that can be really, really hard, but it's, Mm -hmm. it's really worth it when the other person understands what it is you need. And then you're having your needs met because in an abusive relationship, you're not getting your needs met, right? So the other person's getting their needs met by controlling you and hurting you and manipulating you and you're getting nothing from that. So um, part of being in a healthy relationship is that reciprocation, right? That give and take. And so you have to be willing, you have to know what you need and what you want and be able to express that to the, to the person that you're, you're trying to, to connect with and be in a relationship with. Mm. Makes, I was making a face for those who couldn't see. I was like this. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, the next question. Is there a percentage of males that are abused who later become abusers? That's a really good question. I don't have statistics on that, but that's that's a really good question. Um, and I don't. I don't have any statistics on that. And you know what? I you know I would not be in this field if I didn't feel like people could get could get better and could change and could, um, but there are ways to know when someone's not going to, there's not necessarily a way to know that someone's going to go on to abuse other people, but there's ways to know if someone that has been abusive is, is, 
going to change? You know, are they able to take responsibility for their behaviors? Are they, you know, trying to blame others? Are they claiming that you're the one that's abusive? Are they, you know, pressuring you to go to counseling because you're the crazy one? Are they saying they can't change if you don't stay with them? You know, so those are like, yeah, no, you're not, you're not trying to change. You're not trying to make a difference. You're not, you know, so there's, there are some sort of things that you can see in people that you're like, yeah, this is going to kind of be a thing for them. Um, And there are other times when, yeah, you can, something happens really bad one time, you know, the person is truly sorry for it, goes and gets some help and sticks with it for them, for you, for, you know, they want to participate in that. They want to do that and they can change. And they, and I have seen people change, you know, we've had people that have been perpetrators that have turned things around and have said, I want to be better. I want to do better. But that's a really good question. I'm really, I'll be, I'm, I'm going to follow up on that because I'd be really interested to know the answer to that too. Um, Cause that's, that's interesting to think about. Um, what is the most common type of abuse experienced by men? The emotional abuse, definitely, because that's one that can be hidden. <laughs> you know, a black eye is a black eye. You don't hide that very well. Um, but the emotional abuse is something that can happen really on the sly. Um, it can happen through text messages. It can happen through um, social media. It can happen through, you know, things that can look like teasing or, you know, that's, that's primarily what we see because it's, people don't pick up on that. It's subtle, but after a while you, you start hearing things so much about yourself that are negative and awful. You start to believe them and men come in and they're just completely beat down. Like their souls are just beat down and um, it's terrible. It's terrible to see that. And they begin to believe those things about them. That's another reason why, men don't come in or, 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 or people don't come in in general is because they start to believe that stuff about themselves. And so they're like, Oh, they're right. I'm a loser. You know, I can, I'm not going to find anybody else that's going to want me. So I'm just going to stay with this person. And they believe it because they they've lost all kind of, you know, any sort of ego strength they may have had mm. because they've been treated so poorly for so long. Um, and it's devastating and sad. Yeah. Has the rates of men reporting abuse gone up in recent years? It has. It has. Um, Yeah. Um, Men are getting more comfortable coming forward and saying this is what happened. And I think it's because of, you know, platforms like this, or I watched Law and Order last week. I love it. Um, Mm. And there was the whole episode was about a man that was being abused by his wife. And I was like, man, that is so progressive. Mm. You know, like I was like, that's fantastic. And so it's becoming a little more um, uh, talked about. And so I think that's making people feel more comfortable. And it's, it, you know, it's the same for the LGBTQ um, population too. Like there, that's not represented um, on, on, on TV or, on, you know, anywhere. And so that the LGBTQ community is, doesn't come forward because you know, they're already struggling to be represented, period, let alone represented in abusive relationships. So they're another group that struggles um, to come forward and get get help. Um, another community that struggles to come forward because it's just not talked about. It's just not represented in society. And so um, but that that has has also started to pick up, too. I think people are just 
talking about it more, which is, which is really good and really healthy. And, um, you know, I'm glad that that's happening and that there are more resources out there, I think now than there ever have been. So that that's a good thing. Yeah. Is there a common, this is, there's a bunch of stuff here. So I'm just going to put it Go for it. Is there a common personality trait or traits with men being abused? And this person is asking if you're able to comment about how someone with borderline personality disorder affects those around them and maybe about breaking codependency habits. Why? That's loaded. Okay. So you got to break that up into pieces for me, Jeff. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the first question was personality traits of someone that abuses or someone that has been abused. What are we, I, you know, it wasn't clear to me. I wasn't clear if it's a common personality trait of men being abused trait or traits with men being. So I'm guessing it's the, 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 the so victim. like if I'm a certain kind of person, I'm more likely to be abused. Is that I'm, I'm that's what I read into it, but maybe you can answer it both ways. Yeah. I don't, I, you know, I don't think it, it doesn't have anything to do to do with the person being victimized. I don't think, you know, I don't think there's certain uh, that's, I, I'm not saying that the right way. So the, the folks that I talk to and the, People that abuse them tend to be people who want to be, to have control in the relationship, who tend to be jealous people who have trust issues. Um, That's a big thing. And so they're, um, they're not trusting the person that they're in a relationship with going into it. And so they already kind of have that, the, that framework going. Um, And so they're, they're already assuming guilt for the person that they're with. Like you are going to do me wrong. You know, I need to take control of you in this situation before you hurt me like other people. So, you know, the majority of people that abuse others have been hurt. I mean, there's that phrase hurt people, hurt people. And that's really true. Um, So I would say, you know, a majority of the people that hurt others are folks that have been hurt themselves in some way or another a lot of the folks that abuse others, there's sort of a self-centeredness and a, you know, an inability to see outside of themselves and outside of their situation. They're very focused on their own needs and having their own needs met and not, you know, not a lot of empathy for others. Um, you know, I'm not talking like sociopath type, no empathy, like zero mm-hmm. empathy, but just not interested in the feelings of others, you know, interested in having their own needs met, making sure that they're taken care of and they're, you know, every man for himself kind of thing. Um, and however I get there is how I get there. And, and there's collateral damage left and right, um, in the relationships that they're in. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. Well, the collateral damage thing kind of touches on the second part of the question about yeah. how somebody with borderline personality disorder affects those around them. And, but then that person ties it to breaking codependency habits. So yeah. that's another kind yeah, of that's tough. layered. That's thing. tough. So, so this person obviously has a little bit mm-hmm. of background um, in mental health and um, you know, so borderline personality is tough. Personality disorders altogether are tough because there's an altered reality for folks that are dealing with borderline personality. So um, they are, their perceived reality is not necessarily true reality. So they may, you know, one day see you as the greatest person on the planet and you are everything. And the next day they don't want anything to do with you. And so as a person who loves that person, 
you're going to be confused. Which is it? Which is it? Am I the best thing that's ever happened to you? Or do you not ever want me in your space ever again? Um, And that's very confusing for people. And uh, so uh, the personality disorder stuff is it's, it's difficult. Um, Mental health is difficult in relationships. And, and when one or both partners has, has mental health issues that sets folks up for codependency, because when you're, if you're struggling with your mental health and you're not, not treating it or taking care of it, you're finding unhealthy ways of, of coping. And, um, and so you all are learning those unhealthy coping skills from each other and it becomes a cycle and, you know, you're falling into those patterns together, you know, mental health issues and struggling with mental health. It just adds a whole nother dimension to, to relationships and, and trying to understand one another when you, when you're having your own struggles that you may or may not be able to verbalize to the person that cares for you, it's tough. It's tough for the other person and, and, and to sort through that, um, in terms of, you know, codependency, that's, that's tough because when you're used to being with someone healthy or unhealthy or otherwise, and you're all of a sudden without them, you know, you, you can feel kind of lost. And so it's going to be important to really figure out who you are outside of that relationship and not just an accessory to that, to that person that you were with. So what does that look like? And how do I, you know, how am I an individual? How do I function as an individual and not just a part of this pair? And uh, it takes time and it takes effort and there's no easy answer for that. But again, acknowledging that that's what it is. That's a, this is a codependent relationship. This is an enmeshed relationship. This is unhealthy, how close we are or how much we rely on each other or how we can't function without each other. And being able to say, you know, take a step back and go, oh, I need to, I need to do something differently here. I need to do something differently here. Not you need to do something different. I need to do something differently here. And what's that going to look like for us and for me? I muted my phone, my thing, because I have some background noise. So (laughs) (laughs) I unmuted it for this next question. I'll mute it again. Um, So if someone you know is being abused, but they don't want to get help or leave the situation, how best can we handle that? situation in terms of offering help. It's really, that's a really tough situation. And like I said, I just kind of have to be, be there for them, just be able to be present and to listen. And if you can't do that without judgment, then you need to take a, take a step back and, and say, maybe this is not, you know, I'm not, I, I can't do this because I I'm too emotionally invested in this and I'm not going to be able to be, um, objective about this. And so being able to say that to someone, but just, you know, trusting that that person knows what is best for them in that moment. It is so hard and it's so scary to see someone that you care about being mistreated, but until they're ready for that help, it's not going to, it's not going to be help for them, you know, um, provide the resources for them, give them the telephone numbers, give them, because you never know if they're going to wake up in the middle of the night and say, Hey, yeah, I think I want to give this a try you know, give them the websites, give them, you know, give them information, arm them with knowledge, love them unconditionally, do the best you can not to, not to judge them, not to say, well, that's not what I would do in this situation. That is not what people need to hear. It's really not what they need to hear is you are worthy of love and respect. You are worthy of care and concern and then, you know, you can ask them, is that person 
giving you love and respect? Is that person providing care and concern for you? And 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 put it back on them and 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 get them to ask, you know, ask themselves the hard questions. And they they may not be open to it, but that doesn't mean you don't keep revisiting the conversation if they're right, if they want to revisit it. Don't push. Don't push people because that will people will go running and screaming away from you. It's just like other addictions and other, you know, situations that people are in where they're, you're feeling like, oh, it would be best for them to go get some help. You know, someone that's addicted to drugs or whatever, if they're not ready, it's, it's not going to do any good to push. And it's just going to cause a, you know, cause a, a, a chasm in the relationship. And then, then you won't be there to help them. And then they won't have that support there. And that's one less person in their life that could, could be there for them when, and if they're ready to, to do, to get the help. Um, so don't push, don't push, just communicate with love, give them, you know, unconditional positive regard and just tell them you're, you're there, you're, you're there to help when they're, when they're ready, you're there to help when they're not ready, you're, you're there to listen. And I, it means so much to people to just, to just hold space for them. That's really important. Somebody commented about your, um, that they really like your analogy of not being an accessory to another person. They just commented that they really appreciated that. Yeah. Um, so another question, how do you prevent the abuser from pushing your buttons? <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Well, folks are going to do what they're going to do and um, we can't change other people. So we can't prevent someone from doing what they're doing. We can uh, work on our response to people. So if something presses our buttons, okay. And someone knows that it presses our buttons. Don't show them that your button's being pressed. Okay. So if, if they know that, you know, um, I don't know, what's a good example, I, whatever. Don't, don't let them know that they're pushing your buttons. That's going to be, so your response is going to be really important. So don't react in big ways. Don't give them the response or the reaction that they're looking for. That's one way to, to stop it. So, so their, their behavior is going to change based on your response. So if you don't respond the way you normally respond and they're like, oh, I guess I'm not pushing your buttons then they'll move on to something else. Okay. It may take a few times doing it that way, but give that a try. Removing yourself from the situation sounds really basic, but you know, don't engage. If, you know, if somebody is purposely like, and I know it sometimes it's hard if you're in a car or something like that, but in, in, in that case, you say, I'm not going to engage in this conversation right now, or I'm not going to engage in this right now. Um, it's, that's really effective in dealing with people that are trying to push your buttons. So just, just not getting into it with them. And it's easier said than done, especially when you're, when you're in the moment. Um, but it's going to be important for you to preserve your, your own well-being in that moment. That's that boundary setting that we talked about, you know, mm. and saying, nope, I'm not going to let you get a rise out of me right now. I'm going to walk away or I'm going to, you know, I'm going to try to reframe or I'm going to talk about something else. I'm going to change topics or, you know, you've got to be creative. But I think, yeah, if you if you don't give them the response they're looking for, I think that's going to be helpful. <laughs> mm-hmm. Makes sense. Yeah. So um, one final question, and then we'll sure. kind of wrap things up. Sure. What do you do if the abuser has to be a part of your life? Like if it's a co-parent, for example. That's super difficult. It's going to be really important for you to set limits and stick. You know for a fact that person is going to be in your life. You have to figure out a way to coexist with them 
in a way that's not going to be harmful to you or to if it's, you know, co-parenting with someone that's abused children, you know, not engaging with them in front of the kids and, and, and having it blow up and become, become something. That's, that's a really difficult situation. And it happens a lot because, you know, a lot of times the folks that are coming in, like the abusive person is their parent, you know, and so they're, or their, their adult child, you know, and they're not going to just like cut off their adult child, you know, that's their child and that will always be their child in their mind. And so, um, sometimes you have to, you have to make difficult decisions and, and cut people off, but I, yeah, sometimes you're not able to do that. And it's you, again, I just go back to, you can't control what other people do. So what you really need to do is focus on you and your response and your, how you're thinking about the situation or how you're perceiving the situation and, and, and giving yourself time and space to, to step back. If you feel yourself starting to escalate in a situation with somebody and they're, you know, they're starting to push your buttons or you're starting to feel yourself go there, um, really, um, you know, uh, taking a, taking a step back and just saying, okay, I need to, I need to collect myself here and decide how I'm going to respond or I'm not going to respond at all. You know, if it's a text message that's coming in and immediately your blood pressure goes up, you don't have to respond, you know, so pick and choose, pick and choose your battles. You don't have to engage in every single conversation and every single, um, you know, attempt that they make to, to engage you. You don't, you just don't have to, that's the cool thing. You get to decide. Um, yeah. If it's a co-parenting situation and you've got to, you know, pick a kid up from their house or, you know, you have to make an arrangement of, you know, what's going to happen at the school concert or whatever, work on you, work on how you're going to respond and how you're going to, how you're going to treat that person. And, um, you know, eventually they'll, if you, are consistent with the way that you're doing things, they're going to have to to respond to that, you know, like, okay, she's not going to engage me. I'm just going to not worry about it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to keep trying because she's not. And then they'll, hopefully they'll stop um, <laughs> in a perfect world, right? <laughs> well, I am so grateful that you're here with us today, Aaron. Uh, thanks so much for your, uh, for your advice and your thoughts and your experience. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. And, um, uh, feel free to reach out to the Heal Clinic if you know if there's anybody that needs anything. I can provide our phone number. I can provide our you know the website. There's the National Domestic um, Violence Hotline that I can provide for you. So I don't know what the best way to do that. But if people want resources, books or or websites or things like that, let me know and I can get that to you and you can put that up for folks. Um, we can put them in the podcast notes. Cool. If you email them to me, I can post Yeah, definitely. Them. Definitely. But thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for being here. Uh, and yeah. for all the listeners, um, we have a Discord server, like I mentioned, where we have daily discussions with guys and women. Um, it's very moderated. It's online all the time. We're always keeping a pulse on the discussions to make sure that they're respectful. Um, you can find a link in our Instagram bio. Um and uh, so you can listen here or you can um, join us there and we're, uh, we help men become seen. So thanks again, Aaron. You are so welcome. Take care of each other, everybody. Appreciate it.